We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Souter, and today we're going to be talking about children and money. I'm joined as ever by Danny Hewson. Hi, Laura. Yes, we know how much having kids can cost. And if you haven't had a chance to catch our episode on childcare costs, do pop into the Money Matters website or check out the back episodes wherever you are accessing this podcast. Um, We also know that many people do want to try and give their kids a bit of a cushion, maybe start saving early for things like, you know, education costs, buying a car, buying a house. The car thing is is fast approaching me. And I've been talking to Charlene Young, our pensions and savings expert here at AJ Bell, to get some tips on exactly how you can do that. So lots of tips on how to save and invest for your children. We're also going to be talking about how to talk to your kids to help them develop a healthy relationship with money, whatever their age. I've been chatting with Orla McKeating, single mum, fellow podcaster and co-founder of Still I Rise, a programme to celebrate diversity in storytelling for kids. And she's had her own struggles with issues like pocket money. So Danny, talking of pocket money, it's a bit of a thorny issue, I think. I mean, my daughter's only two, so I have, she's not come demanding money yet. Um, You've got older children. How have you navigated the pocket money world? Uh, (laughs) Not well, (laughs) is the honest answer to that. Uh, Yeah, my kids get lots of extra stuff. So, um, you know, they get tuition, they've just had braces, they get horse riding lessons. And for me, that's kind of been their pocket money, particularly the riding lessons, because, you know, they're expensive, particularly for two of them. But they're now at an age where they want to go out with their friends and they want to be able to, you know, just go and buy a top or a burger or or anything like that, head into uh, lead shopping. And they need money to do that. And I'd always sort of done it on an ad hoc basis. So whenever they asked for something, I would just give it to them. But I realised that that probably wasn't doing them any favours. So I have now started putting in £10 a month into their accounts. They've got cards that they can use. They don't have, you know, (laughs) the touch ones, thank goodness. They do actually have to put the card in the wall, use the number and then, you know, get some money out. But that does seem to work because now they understand sometimes that they don't have the money to do what they want. I do usually end up giving them a bit extra though which is is probably not ideal (laughs) um I had a look at some figures um really interesting on kind of average pocket money levels um so the average amount that are given to kids is just over six pound a week which seemed quite a lot but it obviously varies a lot by age um on average four-year-olds which feels very young to get pocket money four-year-olds are getting about three pound a week and 14-year-olds are getting all the way up to about 12 pound a week on average which actually feels like quite a lot. But I think it obviously really depends on, like you say, what else you're paying for for your kids, how much you're expecting them 
to buy and pay for out of there. But I do think it is a useful tool. I remember way back when, when I was a kid, um, getting pocket money and my sister and I saving up because we really wanted to buy something. Um, and so we saved up our pocket money and clubbed together um, to be able to buy that. And the kind of satisfaction, I think it was, I mean, usually it was like Lego sets, um, which still I would probably save up my pocket money and buy. Um, <laughs> but I think that satisfaction, Who wouldn't? being able to save up for something and, and, and pay for it was um, actually quite a good lesson in terms of teaching about the value of money. We did marbles when the kids were young. We used to give them a marble if they'd done something well, and then they could see how many were in the jar, and each marble would equate to a pound. So that way, gradually, they could save up to buy the things that they want. And if they suddenly said that they wanted a Lego set, they were absolutely into Lego friends, then they could take the number of marbles out of the jar that they needed and would see that they would go down and that just sort of seemed to work because that way they weren't you know always playing with money they were playing with marbles that's a good tip and I think it's not just about giving pocket money which is obviously valuable for teaching kids the lessons of money and the value of money but it's also about thinking about putting money away for the future so saving for them whether that's in um, a junior ISA or an ISA and putting some of that money away for the future which I think is so easily forgotten about in the kind of sleep deprivation of small children and also the insane costs that children bring with them have you invested Um, have you put money aside already so we actually did but I acknowledge that I did that because I work in this industry and I constantly um, speak about the fact that you should save early and for your children but what we did was um my daughter's two now and for her first couple of birthdays and Christmases we didn't actually buy her any presents I mean grandparents bought her lots of stuff and friends and we kind of felt like she had enough from hand-me-downs and stuff from other friends so we just put money in an account for her now at some point she's going to get to an age where she's aware that her parents are really stingy and not buying her presents and (laughs) at that point we'll probably have to start buying her stuff but until then I think it's probably so much more valuable in the long run for her to have that money in an account and she still gets stuff to unwrap from from grandparents and her cousins and things like that I wish that I had done that that is such a sensible idea because we got the child trust fund um so we got that 250 pounds and at the time you know between childcare and everything else it was so expensive but with hindsight, I could have put £10 a month away for each of them. And now when, you know, Abby's nearly 17, so, you know, it's not going to be long before she needs driving lessons. And then hopefully they'll both go up to university and then they're going to need an awful lot of money. And I don't have that cushion for them. And I know that they're going to start asking questions. So being able to save and knowing where to put your money, I think is really useful. It's so useful, but just um, I think a lot of people also find it quite quite complicated and a bit overwhelming in terms of which accounts to pick and, and where to put their money. So we've drafted in Charlene Young from AJ Bell um, to give us some advice on how to navigate all of the options when it comes to saving and investing for your kids. But also she has some good examples of how investing kind of little and often can really add up by the time your child turns 18. So lots of people intend to start saving for their children and then it's quite often a thing that's on your to-do list that never quite makes it to the top. But um, for those people that are tackling it, what are the first things that you need to think about when you're coming to start saving for your child? 
I think when you're thinking about any kind of new savings or investment, um, the, the first thing I would probably recommend doing is just checking that you have your own emergency fund in place. Um, so typically we tend to say um, a couple of months um, income or expenditure um, in cash and easily accessible um, for those needs. Um, a lot of people sort of make the decision to get on to some kind of investment journey, whether it's for themselves or children, and, and sometimes neglect that. And obviously, at the, at the moment, it's particularly important. But moving to the actual um, accounts for children, um, again, it's thinking about um, your time frame. Um, okay, so one of the, the big things you have on your side when you're thinking of putting money aside for children is time. Um, and we all know, you know, the um, the effect of sort of compound interest and growth. So really, that that's kind of one of the key things you kind of have in your in your toolkits, um, and that is why when we're thinking about making provision for children, um, and and I know we'll probably come onto this in a second, but um, really thinking about um, getting that money invested um, for the long term. Yeah, so when we look at the figures, the majority of people seem to just stick to cash when they're saving for their children. Maybe that's a mixture of not wanting to take risk with money or that just seeming like for time press parents, that's just an easy option to open a cash account and bung some money in. So is that, I mean, you've touched on it a bit, but like, is that the right place for savings for children or when would that be the right place? Yeah, I think, you know, when we're thinking about making investments for our children, you know, we, we want to make sure they are safe. And the kind of instinctive thing to do um, is, is to put that money into cash um, and, whilst that might be safer from a kind of pounds and pence point of view like you can see the balance and it it, um it doesn't go down obviously we've all come to know um about um, inflation and increases in the cost of living um lately and when we're talking about investing for children when you're thinking about that long-term time frame um leaving everything in cash really could mean that you actually lose money in the long term because you see the the kind of value of that cash and, and what um what could be bought with it in future really eroded over time. Now, of course, investing does come with risks, but historically, if you place money into investments, so we're talking about shares and bonds and things here, it will, um, and it has outperformed cash over the long term. But actually, um, and we've talked about it before, I think, you know, choosing to put it in cash is actually sort of a, an, an investment decision in itself. It's just, you know, instinctively we'll go to, to what is is kind of more familiar to us, if you like. So let's kind of, I think it'd be useful to go through the different ways of saving and the different type of accounts on offer, because I know from speaking to my friends, it feels a bit overwhelming. And I think maybe that's what puts some people off getting started. So let's tackle cash first. So say you've decided that cash is the right place for you to be either because maybe your child's a bit older and a shorter time until they turn 18 or because you want to take no risk with it. So if you want to save in cash, what are the things that you need to think about before you do that? Yeah, so if you're thinking about cash, um, typically it will be kind of similar options um, as to what you could open yourself. So you could, there's instant access accounts available, or um, if you wanted to do a regular savings amount, um, sometimes the, rate, the rates for those are slightly higher, but obviously that's less of putting a lump sum away um, and more regular saving um, perhaps each month. Um, so, so one thing about these cash accounts that is um, that people do find of benefit is that the, the children themselves can typically, with the bank or building society, 
um, start to manage them themselves from quite an early age um, so they can become a bit engaged with the concept of, you know, like putting their pocket money away or, or whatever. So um, another thing to be aware of is, you know, these cash accounts are protected by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, up to £85,000 per banking licence. Um, so there is that added kind of protection there if, if that's something that you're really worried about. Um, one thing to, to be aware of um, is that if you're talking about cash accounts outside of Iceland here, um, if you put away a significant lump sum and it generates a significant amount of interest um, for the child, and that's come from you as a parent, um, there are some, some tricky parental tax rules that you need to navigate. So if you find that money is generating interest of above £100 a year, um, that interest actually becomes yours for tax reasons. So it might kind of defeat some of the objects of making that savings provision. So you talked a bit about kind of the tax implications there of, of using non-ISA accounts. You can, you can also set up cash ISAs for children, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of moving on to, to what are known as junior, junior ISAs. Um, an ISA is, in effect, um, a tax wrapper. So any money or investments you hold within it um, are sheltered from tax. And with junior ISAs, you have two options. You have the junior cash ISA or a junior stocks and shares ISA. So absolutely, if cash is is what's important to you and that you feel that's the right decision for you when you're making um, savings for your children, a, a junior ISA might be worth looking at. Now, things to bear in mind about these accounts um, is that they do need to be set up and managed by whoever has parental responsibility for the child. Okay, so parents or guardians, um, we often get asked by grandparents um, who want to set up a junior ISA and manage that for their grandchildren. Um, but unless they sort of have parental responsibility for the child, that's not possible. Um, so that's one thing to bear in mind in terms of the kind of management of the account. Um, in terms of actually getting cash into it, um, it's up to £9,000 per tax year. And that can come from anyone Um so that's where grandparents can really get involved with that. Um, and then, like I say, if um, you've decided that cash is the right thing, um, that's certainly an option within the ISA framework. So that interest that you get um, will be completely free of tax. But again, is one thing to bear in mind. I think looking at the, um, the previous junior ISA stats, about 57% of new um, money going into junior ISAs was still actually subscribed as cash. So it's still a significant proportion of money going into cash. But as we're talking about accounts that cannot be accessed until the child's um, 18, that's a really long time, especially if you've got younger children, um, to be locking that money away um, in cash. And obviously, as we know at the moment, with inflation running, um, predicted to run into double figures, um, that could really um, be eaten into the value of that over, over the long term. Okay, so let's move on to investing. If you decided that investing is the right um, course for your children's savings, how do you know which account to pick? I guess there's probably three main options, isn't there? You invest through a junior ISA, you use your own ISA account, or you can use a junior SIP, which is like a pension, isn't it? Can you talk us through the pros and cons of each of those? Yeah, so I think we'll start with the, the junior accounts and then we'll talk about maybe using your own in a second. So um, one of the versions of the junior ISA that's available is known as the Stocks and Shares Junior ISA. Um, and just like other ISAs, an ISA is just a tax wrapper. So all that means is that any income, interest or profits you make on what's held within that ISA wrapper is free of tax. So it's a really powerful kind of tax shelter. Um, now, in terms of junior ISAs, you can invest up to £9,000 a year of new money. And these accounts are held for a child until they reach 
18. So, you know, if you're talking about a really young child here, that's potentially a really long time frame to really get investing um, with as little as sort of £25 a month with most providers, um, including ourselves, um, and, you know, really kind of harness the power of time. Um, in terms of managing the account, one thing to be aware of with the junior ISA, it must be set up and managed um, by whoever has parental responsibility for the child. So in terms of the money that's being paid in, that can actually be anybody, but that account management um, and kind of making those investments is for the parent to look at. Um, now, once you are thinking about an investment juniorizer, it's, there are quite a lot of different investment options within that. Um, so if this is your, your first time investing or you're not quite sure what to think about for investing for children, um, a lot of providers do have kind of ready-made investment options out there to kind of take that first layer um, of what can that, I, I agree, kind of feel a little bit daunting at times. Um, so in terms of junior ISAs, a child can have one cash junior ISA and one stocks and shares junior ISA um, during their childhood. You can transfer between different um, providers as well. And, um, you know, if you're thinking about a junior ISA, you're, you're certainly not alone. Um, there were, I think, looking at the last stats, 940,000 um, new junior ISA accounts um, during the last tax year we have data for and, and over £1 billion was actually paid in. Um, so, you know, you're not alone in that one. And I think these these accounts are um, the most popular if you're thinking of investment um, options for, for a child. But there's obviously that issue of access. And there's kind of two ways you can think about it. Obviously, if you're talking about the youngest of children, um, until 18 is a really long time. That has its benefits. But some people are maybe not comfortable with the fact that that money is not accessible um, until the child turns 18. So again, it all kind of depends on your own personal situation. Um, and again, on the other side of access, some people are a little bit nervous, perhaps, of the prospect of their, their child as soon as they reach, reach 18, potentially being able to get um, their hands on what could be a large lump sum. Now, there's two ways you can kind of look at that. Um, it could be a, a real opportunity to engage um, your, ch your children as they get older and approach 18 with the kind of investment account you've got set up for them. Um, because what actually happens is, is that it converts into an adult ISA account when they turn 18. So it's not like they, the money automatically gets paid out. They can just take that on and manage it themselves um, if they were comfortable doing that. Um, so the other kind of junior account label, which is again set up and managed by a parent, um, is the junior SIP. Now, obviously, thinking about your child's retirement um, is probably quite low down the list when many of us aren't probably thinking enough about our own. And the kind of access um, issue takes on another level here, because as it's a, as a pension account, a retirement account, um, this is not accessible until the child reaches retirement age. Now, um, for someone like me, it's looking like it would be um, at, at least age 57 and probably higher if we're talking about the, ch the children of today. Um, so that means they're often kind of thought of after someone's perhaps um, maxed out their junior ISA allowance, for instance, and you might have grandparents who want to to make a, an additional payment. Now, the, the one, the kind of big plus, if you like, in terms of money being paid into these accounts um, is that um, the money does get like a tax relief top up from the government in the same way as our own pension contributions do. So even for a child, somebody could pay in um, it's £2,880 
each tax year and that's automatically topped up to 3600 by the government using that kind of tax relief so that part's really attractive but you know it's a long long time that you're thinking about it. so if this is really a kind of your first um, trip into kind of investing for, for children um, most people would look at that junior ISA account um, sticking with tax wrappers there's obviously as you mentioned the the option you could actually just use your own ISA to put aside some money um, so the kind of big pro of that, I guess, is that um, that money is, is accessible to you. If we're just talking about a, a stocks and shares ISA account, obviously investing is for the long term. We generally talk about five years. But um, if, if you wanted to use your own account for whatever reason, um, the plus point is the access. Now, flip that on its head um, is you know if you're putting money aside for your child, you're using your own ISA allowance. Obviously, it's a level of twenty thousand pounds a year for adults, so there is a bit of headroom there. But it's all about um, whether you know you're going to be able to keep that money invested for for your child. Um, you know, at the moment, things are so unpredictable. Um, it might be tempting for whatever reason to kind of dip into those funds. Um, so that's kind of one thing to to be aware of. Um, so. Uh, the the other option actually um, is um, a an investment account or what's known as a, a bear trust account. Now the word trust sometimes people get a bit scared or think it was that just um, is that just a bit too complex for me. And all it is is it's an account, an investment account. So it's not within an ISA tax wrapper, um, but it's set up and and managed um, for the benefit of the child. So it is the child's own money, but until they turn 18, they, they can't really access it. But it, they, these are popular because they can be set up and they're good for grandparents. Um, so grandparents can't set up and manage a junior ISA or a junior SIP, but they can set up and manage one of these trust accounts if they had a lump sum, for instance, that they wanted to invest for the child. And, and the benefit of these as well um, is that the money can be used um, before the child's 18, as long as it's for their benefit. So we often see these for, for perhaps grandparents who might want to fund school fees or, or other types of, of care for, for grandchildren. Um, so again, that's something to kind of think about. Um, there are restrictions on this. Um, the, these accounts are set up for a particular child. Um, they can't really be changed. So you, you can't change which child it's set up for. And if you have more than one grandchild, for instance, you'd have to um, set up different accounts for them. Um, but it, it's it's a good uh, and it's a popular option um, for grandparents. So comprehensive, really helpful roundup of accounts. I'm going to throw in a curveball here. So some friends recently asked me, whether it's better to use a lifetime ISA to save for their children because you get the, the government top up there, um, whether it's better to use that than a normal ISA? Yeah, so this is, I've not actually heard this. It's a really interesting question. Um, I suppose the kind of main thing that I would underline this with is that you are then using your own allowances for your children. Um, and if because the the lifetime ISA would need to be in your name because it needs to be opened by somebody age 18 to 39 so it's the first thing is kind of make sure you're within that age bracket um because as soon as you reach 40 you can't open one um and also that we need to go back to the question of access so lifetime ISAs are kind of that halfway house between um ISAs and pensions for adults so here if the parent is using their own lifetime ISA um they won't be able to access it um, free of any penalties or whatever until the parent is age 60. 
Um, so um, even though um, they can also be accessed for first-time property purchase, I think we're going to assume here that the, the parents are already homeowners themselves. So if if that kind of locking money away until 18 or the, the prospect of the child getting this big lump sum at 18 is of concern, then I can see why people are thinking about it. Um, but the, the, other, the other kind of thing to compare is that um, if you have some excess income and you think it's going to be a significant amount to put away is that for lifetime ISAs, you, you get £4,000 as your allowance each year. And then that's topped up, obviously, up to £1,000. Um, and the junior ISA allowance is actually £9,000. So I can see why people are thinking about this, um, especially if that kind of age 18 thing is an issue. But um, if if you're really thinking about saving for university fees or, or whatever your child wants to do when, when they finish school or college, um, obviously, unless your age, um, unless you're going to be 60 by that point, you're kind of uh, missing out those years, which, um, you know, it might make for some uncomfortable conversations with your kids. Yeah, I've got some money saved up to it, but you can't have it for another 10 years until I reach 60. Yeah, and it's in my name. So it's kind of, yeah, it, it's it, obviously everybody... Um, everybody's situation is different but I think um I'm probably in the school of like actually let's get kids a bit engaged with um these accounts whether it's cash or investments um and um think about you know think about getting them engaged with them with all the things in in financial education that we think about and actually maybe when they reach 18 you might be surprised that they they go on to manage it themselves or use it for something that might get your approval not just splurging it all on a massive holiday or (laughs) (laughs) um so I think it might be useful just to bring to life um we've talked a lot about the kind of long time frame that you've got when you're saving for kids particularly if you start when they're young you've got kind of up to 18 years to save um how much does money add up can you give us some examples of if you saved a certain amount how much that actually adds up to because I think quite often 18 years can seem like a really long time period and you just think um, that's so far away, I can't really even think about it. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, going back to those ISA stats, um, of that kind of £1 billion that was paid in in the last tax year to junior ISAs, um, the average annual subscription was £1,133. Now, that was a mean, but I think that gives us a good starting point because that's just under £100 a month. So I kind of had a look at um, if you um, invested um, £100 a month within a junior ISA, um, then from kind of birthday to age 18, um, even with a, what I would call a modest growth rate after tax, um, after charges, sorry, um, that could give you um, around £31,000 when the child reaches 18. So, um, you know, if you wanted to go big and you wanted to use the full junior ISA allowance of £9,000, it's quite a generous allowance, actually. Very generous. I don't yeah. have a £9,000, but good for yeah. people who do, and it's good that they've got the option. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, although it has to be managed by parents, grandparents and other people can pay into this junior ISA account. Um, so if you went, you know, the whole hog um, and, and went £9,000 a year, that pot is going to be worth at least £230,000, assuming that kind of modest growth rate. Um, obviously, that's not guaranteed. So, you know, it. I can see where that conversation about suddenly getting access to, to over £200,000 at age 18 might be might become an interesting one but you know that shows with a hundred pounds a month if you could you can um, spare it and you can be disciplined about doing that and getting that invested you know 
over £30,000, which would be a, a perfect sort of nest egg to get people started with university fees or, or costs of accommodation if that's what they wanted to do um, or, or whatever it is um, they, they would like to do. You know, at AJ Bell, you can get started with as little as £25 per month. Um, and as I mentioned, we have those kind of ready-to-go investment ideas. So it really sort of does show the power of, of investing over time. Yeah, and I guess if people have multiple children, that £100 could be split between two different accounts um, between their two kids. Or um, I think the message is kind of just get started if you're thinking about it. And even if you start small at the moment, lots of people are finding their budgets quite tight. But if you start small, you can always build that up as you, you know, have less childcare costs, for example, or if you get a pay rise at work, or like you say, if grandparents are willing to contribute. Yeah, and you can vary that. And I think, you know, as we're seeing at the moment, times are challenging for everybody. Um, And even people who are investing for the first time might see that it's um, a slightly bumpy road or it might feel like a bumpy road at the moment. But, you know, you have got that time frame to kind of see it out and hopefully reap the benefits of kind of investing over the long term. I think I saw a really interesting stat um, from Money Facts um, that the kind of average interest rate for these cash junior ISAs at the moment um, was less than 1% um, over the last year um, from February 21 to 22. And they actually looked at then if you'd been in in an investment, sort of the average investment, if you like, the average stocks and shares ISA, according to them, would have returned growth of just shy of 7%. So obviously, that's a very short time frame, but it just illustrates the kind of um, the difference. If you're looking at the 1% or under versus the current rate of inflation, then over the long term, investments do start to look a little bit more attractive and I think when we've been talking about this we've been kind of focusing on people that have younger children now that are kind of starting to save when they're younger and have got that really long time horizon what about um, parents of kind of teenagers I guess or who've left it a bit later maybe they didn't have the spare money or maybe they just never got around to opening the account is it too late for those parents to start putting away money if they've only got kind of eight seven six years left until their child turns 18 and no no not at all it's kind of any time um is a good time um so you might think like say that you've missed the boat but actually as as children get older and and a teenager there's some handy planning opportunities if you did have that kind of extra cash available and you know as most of us kind of progress through our careers um there is that kind of jump for for a lot of people um as, as you kind of get um, a bit older and you might find you have that disposable income available so um it, it might also be kind of easier to get an older child excited and engaged with saving and investing um you know kind of moving up from sort of pocket money and piggy banks um to actually kind of getting involved with with budgeting and thinking about you know you could make it fun it doesn't have to be as serious as saying goals and objectives that we might say um in any kind of grown-up world but you know actually thinking about what they would like to say for what they would like to do um, so that that part might actually be be a little bit easier. Now, in terms of the kind of practical planning opportunities, um, so children who are aged 16 and over, um, they can actually access adult cash ISAs. Now, obviously, I come from a world of investment, so I tend to talk about stocks and shares ISAs, but here for two years, you've really got this kind of handy um, planning opportunity if you have the cash available. So the children could have a cash ISA, as an, an adult cash ISA, which comes with its own allowance of 20,000 or up to 20,000 pounds per year, but they can still have a junior ISA as well. So if um, for whatever reason, um, 
perhaps there's an inheritance coming or there's grandparents who want to invest and there is a, a substantial pot of cash here. You have a couple of years where you could put up to £29,000 um, away for those two taxes. Now, I appreciate that's not av- open to everybody, but you know it would be remiss of me not to point that out. Um, so, yeah, it, whether cash or investment is, is kind of the option, um, those two those two years are kind of, you know, potentially very valuable. Um, one thing to bear in mind is that that adult cash ISA will be in their own name properly um, and they will, um, you know, as an adult, have a full access to it. But again, if it's all about kind of getting engagement or thinking about what they might want to say for what they're, they're thinking about doing, um, kind of once their education ju- or their school education journey is finished, um, that's a really positive thing. Um, now, also, um, once they reach, eight, reach age 18, of course, they'll be eligible for a lifetime ISA in their own name. Um, so they could open a lifetime ISA or you could start having those discussions. Um, and that obviously attracts the government bonus. And if saving towards a property is one of those goals, um, you know, you can even use accumulated funds within any of those junior ISA accounts that you've set up when they were a bit younger and transfer that in each year up to £4,000. So there are kind of a range of opportunities there. Yeah, I, I can see why, you know, we are talking about younger children when we're looking at that kind of power of investing. But absolutely, there are um, there's plenty of options out there. And of course, even if it's just about cash, having bank accounts in your own name, that's that tends to be possible, actually, from when you're kind of like a young teenager. I know some of the building society accounts, you used to get your own little savings book when you were sort of like 10 years old, even. So um, it, yeah, it whichever option you feel is best for you and your family that there's quite a a range out there for you that's so many top tips thank you i think that's been really helpful for everyone so thanks Shannon Young there from AJ Bell Uh, some great advice and I wish that I had known about this or even thought about this I mean you know clearly when you get the child trust fund check through that we've got at the time um there was you know an option to to save a bit of cash and i and as charlene says you know if i had done that then now my kids would be sitting on quite a nice nest egg but it it was it was not something that i thought about at the time and probably push comes to shove not something that i thought i could afford at the time and i would imagine a lot of people are in the same boat Yeah, it's so important to start talking about money and to talk about it from early on. The whole Money Matters campaign is aimed at getting more women talking about money and finances. And the earlier that you can start that with your kids, the better. Uh, I know a lot of people say that more should be done in schools. So hopefully our next guest will give you some few ideas if you've not thought about how to approach that topic of money with your children or even your grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Yeah, I mean, I I talk about money with my children quite often and you know that they didn't know from schools about things like credit and and what's the difference between a a credit card and a debit card and and when you might want to use a credit card for those extra protections but also about debt so I have now that they're a bit older started talking about that but it's hard to know and um, Orla McKeating, who I've been talking to, is co-founder of Still I Rise, which is diversity storytelling program. She's an outspoken fellow podcaster and a single mum, and she has been sharing some of her tips. Orla, you've got uh, a son. You've spoken with him about money. And obviously, as they get a bit older, they start to want 
more pocket money. How have you sort of navigated that? How much have you decided is is a good amount? Well, I am a single mother of one child who's now nine, and I've always kind of encouraged being active in the home, and that kind of linked in really well with, with you know what, you now want things, so let's work out a decent um, amount to give. And I think we kind of worked that out together, and I worked it out on, I used to have a coffee shop business. So I was like, right, if I pay myself this and they have these amount of outgoings or if I pay a 17-year-old this, then how could we work that out? And I was just really honest and upfront with him. You know, whenever we were younger, as soon as we got our NI number, mom and dad sent us out to work and it was the best thing they could have done for us in terms of work ethic and in terms of financial independence. It allowed us to make all the mistakes and continue to make all the mistakes and learn from them. So I think for me, it was open dialogue, knowing the value of money in terms of how, in terms of transaction and learning the value of money in terms of earning it from a young age. That That's important to me as a parent. It's interesting you talk about that national insurance number. Last week, I got a letter through the post telling me that my six, almost 16-year-old was about to get a national insurance number and to watch out for it. And it was just like, oh, wow. So, yeah, she can start earning now. She's also going to do a GCSEs next year. So I've sort of said, well, hang on. Do you know what? I'll keep the pocket money going and you'll get money in exchange for good grades. And it's sometimes quite a balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as parents as well, I think it's okay to kind of learn as we go. Like I used to be really strict on myself and be like, it's got to work out like this or that's it. I haven't done it properly. And now it's like, well, do you know what, where I am at the minute is I want you to know the value of money. We'll do A, B and C and hopefully the outcome will be X, Y and Z. And as you say, like I'm saying this now, my son is nine. When he's 16 and the card comes through, I'm going to be making those choices as well. But I think, uh, yeah, it's just kind of working with them, isn't it? And creating that trusted space as well for communication so that it's not something to be afraid of, especially now, like the world we live in. Like I'm very aware as a parent that I'm like, I talk about the price of things. So we were on holiday there. We spoke um, last week and I was in Dublin on holiday and where we were staying, my son was like, do we need to pay for the electricity here as well? And I was like, oh my goodness, I must actually talk more about the cost of living and about the cost of electricity and the cost of everything. And he listens to the news. So nearly removing that fear as well, that it isn't something to be afraid of either. It's just something that we can kind of learn from and control and I don't know if control is the right word, but familiarize ourselves with it and be aware of the challenges and then the success is nearly out of it, out of finances. Yeah, not make it a, a taboo subject, not be embarrassed to talk about it. I know that for me, the first time that I had to say to my kids, do you know what? I, I can't do that. That's just too expensive. I don't have the money right now. It was quite an enlightening moment. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think if we give our children everything financially, where is the value in that? Like, we obviously want to provide everything, but equally, you know, sometimes it's not possible and that's okay. That's life, isn't it? So you um, give him a, a certain amount of pocket money now. Is it every week, every month? I would go with every task <laughs> because um, we started, so he did his first communion. We're Catholic, so he did his first communion in 
primary four, which was last year, 2021. And like, you just get given so much. I hit something like 300 pounds. So we opened an account. And the one that worked best was Revolut. So I had an account, he had a junior account, and then I kind of have access to it. And what happened there was, you know, we had these great intentions. Well, he had these great intentions of buying something big and grand. And then life comes along and Nintendo's come along where you buy little apps and you buy little things. I don't know if you're you're probably more familiar with this than I am. I just get asked, can I have your card to buy £15 worth of something? Absolutely not. Can I? Absolutely not. Can I? Absolutely not. Can I use my own? Fine, go for it. And now that's all built up. So that's a big learning. Now we will have um, pocket money when there's tasks done. So if the room's cleaned, if there's been help with the garden, um, he wants a hoverboard. So we've kind of agreed, okay, we're going to do a point system on this. And that's, you know, working together with focus, working together with the finance and then getting it together. And once we've reached a certain point, because a hoverboard, I think, is about £120 and I'm not paying for it. Like we are kind of working together and how we can um, save that money together. So it's not a case of like £5 or £10 pocket money a week. It's a case of, right, what tasks do we need to do? Or you want money? Let's work it out together and we can work for it and save. How did you go about picking the bank account that was right for him? Or was it just that because you were with Revolut, it was right for you? I actually wasn't with Revolut, but I asked peers and other parents, and that was apparently the best one. Um, I find the online banking, so the ones that are just apps, way better than the ones in person. So we have, like, I, we live in Belfast, and there's various different banks. Like, my bank, I've been with my whole life, but there's no way I would get him to join. Like, do you remember in the 80s when we were growing up? You had like your free magazine every month and you had a money box and you had a bag. There's no incentive for that really anymore. So it's like, well, what benefits can this get? And what was important to me was that it was accessible and that I would be able to help him kind of look after it. And that worked. And it was it was really, really easy to set up. So we set it up online. I have the app so I can pay, obviously, contactless. And then there's a card sent out in the post. So it worked. And does he often check his account? Is he aware of what's in it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> he still thinks there's £300 in it, I think. <laughs> I think he's forgotten about all those purchases he made. But yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. So you obviously work with kids as well, doing reading, talking about diversity and inclusion. Does money ever come up in those sessions? Do you know what? Money doesn't come up. I suppose we're offering really trusted spaces where we can, I suppose, invite all children and young people to see, feel seen and heard and valued. So I suppose it's something now, like it's I'm always learning from it. And it is because as you were saying at the start there, there is kind of a taboo sometimes about money. And there's certainly, you know, within classrooms even, there's levels of, well, I got this for Christmas and this person didn't. And you know why, like it's a class issue often um and I suppose it's kind of normalizing that and kind of creating understanding and acceptance that you know some families just don't have the income they don't have the money and that's okay and having those conversations I suppose um there's a lot more one-wage families now there's a lot more people are struggling with money and I suppose it is just I suppose 
having the conversation with children to kind of nurture that understanding that because for one person maybe it just seems completely bizarre that you can't have everything you want that you can't have the most expensive toy and then for another person it might carry shame that they can't have that new bike or that they don't get brand new clothes or the new amazing trendy trainers and that only gets more intense I would say as children get older and as the teens come in like I don't know what it's like whenever they're teenagers and maybe you can't afford to do as much or you can't afford the best iPhone or you can't afford the best shoes like I remember being a teenager and we just wanted the best top shop clothes and now like as a parent it's like how am I gonna navigate this as well so I suppose for me it is just opening the lines of communication and acceptance and educating I suppose do you think the fact that we are talking more about the cost of living at the moment and that just about everybody is in the same boat, everybody is having to think about budget, different degrees, obviously, but it is impacting everybody. Do you think that might change the way that we talk about money and the way that we talk about money with our kids? Because I know my kids are definitely talking more about the cost of things. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And it could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like I'm very aware that, you know, whenever we're going shopping (laughs) during lockdown, I actually worked out the best supermarkets to get certain things. So some weeks we go to three different supermarkets, other weeks we just won't have time and we'll just go to one. But it's very much again, those kind of conversations. Well, do you know what? I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Little because I can get all the tin goods, all the um, crackers, crisps. They're great for frozen fruit. I'm going to go to Tesco for fresh fruit and veg because it lasts longer. I will also go to M&S because there's a number of things. Like I know eggs is cheaper in M&S. I know that, um, oh, there's something else that's cheaper. In M- and it's kind of just working that out and having those conversations. What I'm really aware of is a parent that I don't want to pass down my money anxiety. And that's where I'm, you know, there's little things like the, do we pay for electricity when we're on holiday? I was like, oh my goodness, have I, do I go on about this too much maybe? Should I be more like, yeah, it'll be fine. So it's finding that balance as well of educating on, do you know what, you can just look for the cheaper option. It's just as good. And then we have this little pot of money here that we can use to go to the cinema or go swimming or save up and go on a holiday or something like that versus oh my goodness, I've spent 40 quid in gas this week and it's summertime, you know. So again, probably awareness. I just always think that open communication in the child's, you know, child-appropriate open communication is, for me, that's the best I can do because I'm going to mess up and then I'm going to do well in other things, you know. Orla, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. So Orla McKeating there, and you can follow her on Instagram at Orla Veronica. And you can also follow us on Instagram as well at AJ Bell Money Matters, or of course, visit our website, just Google AJ Bell Money Matters. You'll find loads of articles there, also back editions of our pod and podcasts, and you can also sign up to our newsletter. Yeah, and the newsletter will give you loads of information about the new articles that we've got, but also our in-person events, um, which we've got coming up later this year. And if you want to get in touch, you can get in touch via social media, or you can email us at moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk.
that is all for this episode. Um, if you're doing things over the summer, some of these tips might be quite helpful if you've got children. Um, other people might be out and about, might be thinking about buying a house and that is the next subject that we are going to be tackling, digging into ways that you can save up for a house and also everything you need to know about mortgages. Thanks a lot and we will see you soon. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.